When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch. Now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. All right, it's another film study. Uh, I hope you guys have been enjoying all the uh, shorter episodes that we've been putting out over the past couple weeks. This will not be one of those. This is going to be a nice long discussion because we're going to look back at Lamar Jackson, which means it's probably going to be more than one episode, at least two episodes for us to get through all this. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm good. I'm excited that we got Michael joining us because he's going to make every Lamar Jackson and compare it to Joe Flacco as we go <laughs> on, right? Michael, how you doing? Well, hey, 
I'm doing good, Josh and, and Ken. Thanks for having me on. No, I'm I'm here to tell everybody that I completely predicted everything that Lamar just did this past season, and nobody listened to me. <laughs> right, right. They, of course, that's all false. I didn't predict any of it. Right, you wrote all those blog posts that no one would publish for you because it was so outrageous that <laughs> Lamar would be MVP. <laughs> no, I I, it, I was I was definitely uh uh. Uh, biased towards Lamar uh, coming uh, from Louisville, even though obviously I had no idea that the Ravens would, would draft him, but uh, I was nowhere near predicting any kind of uh, season like this uh, in his first full season as a starter. Nowhere close to it. All right, outstanding. Well, Michael, I think we'll talk today about Lamar and the run game, and, and obviously there's going to be some overlap here. How it affects the pass game is obviously very important. But Lamar's very special in terms of, of what he brings to the run game, how he changes the way defenses have to react to him, to defend the field as a whole, and just a wealth of stuff here. You sent me a ton of notes. We have uh, uh, more than that as well to add. And uh, I think uh, we'll start off, but why don't we, why don't we just uh, make this an alternating point thing? And by the way, Josh, anytime you think there's a question, uh, from the mailbag that you think is a particularly appropriate or maybe one you'd like to start with, uh, we can jump in with that. All right. Sounds good. I'll be monitoring the mailbag as we go. All right. Well, you know, why don't, why don't, you're the guest, Michael. How about we let you start with the, this, the point you'd like to make about Lamar Jackson and the running game and, and something you think is particularly cogent or important to start with? Okay, I guess I'll. I mean, there's there's so much to unpack uh, with with Lamar and his his effect on the run game. Um, I mean, obviously they they really tailored a lot of what they do in the running game around his specific skill set. But I guess I'll start with this, um, and a lot of people have heard this because of what he is as a runner in himself. You know, we can we can certainly talk. Um, as we go on about how he impacts other parts of the run game, but just what he is as a threat, as a runner himself, uh, himself forces defenses to play 11 on 11, right? Truly 11 on 11. Uh, oftentimes when you have more of a traditional pocket passer at QB, uh, you know, when you're calling a run play, that guy's really not accounted for by the defense, right? Sometimes in those zone schemes, and we saw it here, um, a little bit back in the Kubiak days with Flacco where they're kind of running that that wide zone or outside zone and you see the quarterback hand the ball off to the running back and then kind of complete that boot fake action out the opposite way. That's designed to hold a backside defender, right, just to honor um, the potential that the QB might actually keep the ball uh, and boot out the backside. And that happened from time to time. But Lamar is on a whole nother level, right, in terms of what you have to do um, from from a defense perspective in terms of counting, accounting for him in the run game. You, you literally have to designate a person, sometimes multiple defenders, uh, to him, particularly in their option schemes, uh, just for him, right? Let alone the running back or if there's a receiver who's maybe running jet motion or something like that. Uh, you have to add extra defenders just to account for him. And as we saw so much uh, last season, that defender, by and large, is typically going to be a linebacker or maybe even a defensive end. And those guys athletically are a mismatch, right? I think we saw as the season went on, teams started to maybe incorporate safeties and, and you know, some, some, some defensive back body types to add into that, that defensive scheme. But early on, 
was either a defensive end or a linebacker scraping over the top of a defensive end who would crash down on on the on the dive to the running back. And those guys were just an athletic mismatch. You know, once Lamar got on the edge or one on one with those guys, he's either beating them around the corner, he's cutting back inside, he's you know inside spin move like in the second Bengals game. You know, the, it, it's just a huge mismatch uh, with him with with those body types. I, I agree completely in terms of, of, you know, certainly it's an additional runner that needs to be accounted for on the field. But uh, let's take a step back here, Michael, if we can, and describe kind of how the read option works. And I'd love you to interge- interject because you have a tremendous uh, background in exactly play design, as I would call it, from your scouting academy work. And I'm going to I'm going to try and define it in terms that are, are use a specific side for the runner. So we're going to assume a right side uh, read option, meaning the back from the pistol is moving past Lamar's right side. So when that happens, the running back comes to the mesh point. Lamar puts the ball into the mesh point with both hands, meaning a, a cage of upper and lower arm, if you want to think of that, that the running back holds out. And the edge defender on that side typically is unblocked by the right tackle in this particular case. Now, why is that important? Well, uh, for multiple reasons. First of all, that right tackle is free to help inside on a double team. In particular, that would be Orlando Brown trying to help tee up uh, a defensive tackle for Marshall Yonda. He can also then move up to level two after he's accomplished that and hit a scraping linebacker who might be moving to contain the play to the outside flowing towards the play. Again, he'd be very effective at that. And then also, there's usually two uh, and sometimes only one additional player in the backfield who moves into level two uh, to make a block. And they're usually a mismatched size advantage, whether it's Ricard and Hurst, which was a co- common combination, uh, to move into level two and make blocks, along with uh, a tight end potentially on that side, and pot- who would be at an inline tight end, and a wide receiver on that side. And the Ravens, of course, have some larger blocking wide receivers. So the effect of it was... You have an unblocked edge defender who it's Lamar's job to beat. And then you have a bunch of very advantaged blocking situations that are created beyond the ability to drop off the what is typically the best run defender on that side of the field. Yeah, it's it 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 really gives you just, you know, a number of different advantages. And you 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 kind of laid them out. I mean Number one, like you, the last point you just made, you're taking probably one of the best defenders, uh, at least in terms of a, a, a down lineman, edge rusher type body, um, and you're freezing him, right? You're forcing him to have to read what's happening on a play. Typically, defensive coaches, you've, you've, you guys probably have all heard it before. If you're thinking, you're stinking, right? You don't want players on defense hesitating and trying to process. You want them attacking, right? Getting upfield and attacking. Well, Oftentimes that that guy couldn't do that because he had to figure out what was going to happen. Right. Was Lamar going to give that ball to the running back and the running back was going to run that dive track kind of, you know, right right off the center's hip uh, or outside foot uh, on an inside run? Or is Lamar going to pull that ball out and look to get around the edge on that guy? And so. You see different. You see defenses play that differently with that player. Sometimes they uh, they'll have him use what they call a surf technique, where it literally looks like you're on a surfboard, right? Mm-hmm. And he's kind of like trying to to hedge between the running back getting the ball inside and Lamar taking the ball outside. But then again, you're freezing that player, right? He's stopping his feet, 
and he's got to restart. And trying to stop and restart against a guy with Lamar's athleticism is a losing proposition, right? And so then you see teams try to be more proactive, and they say, okay, well, we're just going to have the DN crash on the running back. No matter what Lamar actually does with the ball, we're just going to have him, his assignment will be just take that running back, no matter what. And then we'll have a linebacker try to scrape over the top. But to the point that you mentioned earlier about the blocking scheme, in your example, well, now you've got Orlando Brown working up to level two, uh, trying to account for that scraping linebacker, right? And so now that linebacker has to find a way to get around Orlando Brown, He to get around Orlando Brown. He either wants to go outside or he wants to go inside. And depending on which way he goes, the ball carrier, which, you know, if we're talking about Lamar keeping the ball and getting outside, he's going to make that blocker right. He's going to make Orlando Brown right, right? So if the linebacker goes inside, Lamar is going to kind of set that up and then bounce outside. If he tries to go outside, Lamar can cut back under that. Um, so, you, you know, you get that advantage uh, at that level. And then you also talked about the additional blockers, right? Um, you They go by different names. You can call them sniffers or arc blockers or whatever, but they basically are accounting for that next level of run support, typically a safety uh, who, who's coming down. And so now you've got uh, a DN who is, I don't, I'm using air quotes, you can't see my fingers, blocked by the read that Lamar is making. You have a linebacker who uh, could potentially, you know, depending on if, if the tackle can execute the block, uh, be blocked by that tackle. And you have the uh, next level run support player who can be blocked by this fullback or tight end H-back person, right? So you're accounting for all of the different pieces in, in, in the run fit and in run support that the defense is trying to deploy to stop this play. But you have a body for everybody, at, well, except for the DN, you don't need a body. You're using the mm-hmm. read blocking um, to account for. So it really is just also a really well-designed scheme. You know, sometimes people think of the option as like high school or gimmicky or whatever. It's really, you know, core football really when you think about it, it's assignment football everybody has an assignment on offense and defense and if you don't execute it um you know exactly the way that you need to execute it every time you see it that's what i love about the option is that it it forces the defenses to lock in for an entire game right because you don't know when it's coming and if one guy doesn't execute his assignment you've got the potential for a big play so it just really puts pressure on defense just in that way. We're, we're just talking about um, the option as a general concept, right? They run a variety of different options. I don't want to bog us down with lingo, but you've got the traditional triple option. You've got speed option. You've got veer. You've got midline. I mean, they ran all of this stuff. I'm not just throwing out names that I've heard. This this is literally all stuff that they ran during the season because I charted the run games. That's, that's every run play they called this year. And they run all of that stuff. And that's just the option concept. That's not even talking about any of their gap schemes like power or counter or zone, like inside or outside. I mean, it's just a really diverse run game. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really special. I think of it in examples. Maybe it would be the game of war if you're if you've ever played. It's a very simple card game, of course, but you've got to have your card. Your best cards have to be engaged. They can't end up being part of the the three card pile you make before you have a war that allows aces and the higher cards to get transferred. So effectively, the the unengaged largest defender is sitting there uh, in a in a in limbo in a place where he can't really help on the play and it ends up then you have you know king to jack and queen to 10 kind of relationships with a lot of other blockers 
that are along the line of scrimmage. So you have advantages in, in, in terms of size, certainly. And the Ravens, of course, with, with players like Boykin and uh, Sneed, who's really built like a safety, uh, you know, have some good blocking advantages on the outside anyway with their receivers on corners as well. So, uh, yeah, you're right. All this stuff about Lamar has the ability to manipulate that guy into position is right. I think the other important thing to look about Lamar, look at with Lamar in terms of the reads are that Lamar's greatest asset is his ability to read. It's at a level that is I have never seen in any other NFL skill position player. It may be present in corners. I don't know that I would know how to judge it as well. So maybe if you look back to Darrell Rivas or, or Deion Sanders or corners like that, they may have had the ability to read leverage in a wide receiver that would have been similar. I think if you look to virtuoso individual basketball performers at the NFL, I sorry, at the NBA level, uh, where the way that defenses work, they have to play one-on-one defense. They're forced to. I think you get some some uh, some leverage readers at that level who are similar. But there's nobody in the NFL at a skill position player that's like Lamar. And effectively, that means he can get away with not being quite as fast as the other players on the field. Now, he's plenty fast. Don't get me wrong. But he's not quite as fast as the fastest players on the field. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I don't think we're looking at a guy in terms of linear straight line speed. Um, I'd say RG, if, if you were to have him just in a straight foot race, RG3 is probably faster in a straight line. But Lamar's agility and ability to stop and start is at a different level from RG3's. Yeah. Um, and and that that ability to read is is really important, too. And when you think about it, think, think about it in this context. When he was at Louisville, and obviously he he, he he racked up a ton of rushing yards at Louisville. But when you study those games and even listen to his coaches, um, a lot of those runs where he kept the ball were designed runs. They were designed keeps. He wasn't mm-hmm. reading as much as he read uh, in Greg Roman's offense. So think about having to learn that last year, um, you know, it, back in OTAs and training camp and then uh, being inserted for, you know, a couple plays a game, but then having to pick it up and do it uh, as a full-time starter mid-season, and then this off-season and this year, just how much more he was executing those reads for a guy who, it's not like he's been running this offense since college or even high school. I mean, some guys who come in and and, and, and run option and continue to run the zone read game and in college have been running it a ton in high school too. But just looking back through his history, it was more about him just a design keep to run the ball. There was never a read in it. So he's really mm-hmm. had to learn this and become... Um, you know, really, really good at it uh, at the NFL level. That's really a testament uh, to his aptitude to take okay. a skill like that and and get better at it at the highest level. Yeah. So let's let's and obviously that's a big part of Lamar's 2019 season is getting better in a lot of ways. But let's let's take a unpack that a little bit further because Greg Cosell has watched a lot of tape from Lamar and he seems to think that most of his runs are designed runs to start with, and he doesn't mean a option run, but a designed quarterback run. And if you look at what Lamar is doing to that defender, typically, it's almost as if he's got a remote and he's able to just slow down that video exactly to the speed he wants and go frame by frame until the edge defender is on the wrong foot and he knows he's got to beat leverage-wise. And if that happens at any time during that extended mesh point, we need to talk about that a little bit, then he's got him. And he knows he can get outside that defender. Now, they're like, the defense can present other challenges. They can blitz somebody off the slot. You know, they can do various things to, to, to mess it up. But 
you know, just beating that edge defender, Cosell may be right that the plan is always to do that, or it may just be it's the first plan, and this and this second option is to just hand the ball off the off to a running back, take time with the mesh point, allow those double teams to. fulfill themselves to, to, to come to fruition and create a, create a lane. And that's another thing that really is so effective, uh, that makes it so effective. And look, uh, Greg Cosell knows more about watching film than I'll ever know. Um, so I'm certainly not questioning uh, what, what he sees, but it's that uncertainty, right? The fact that you don't really know unless you're in that room and hearing, you know, the way that they're coached on these individual plays, um, even other NFL players, like veteran players. Remember that Rams game, right? Eric Weddle after the game, like, well, we didn't know where the ball was at times. We couldn't see it. We didn't know what was going on. So even veteran NFL players who've seen a ton of football and a ton of scheme, even they're a little uncertain about, well, wait a minute, is this by design? Is there is there an actual read on this play? Or is it just made to look like a read on this play? That's another one of the beauties of it is that you don't really know. And again, it just adds to that hesitation on the part mm-hmm. of the defense. You're trying to figure something out instead of just reacting and playing. Yeah, the hesitation is really very key to it. I think I, I think that could be understated. And and you know, we've watched as Le'Veon Bell has been an opponent for a number of years for the Ravens. We noticed that really patient running style behind a very good blocking offensive line. He was always, you know, willing to take his time to let the play develop wait for the offensive line to create something for him and, and then hit that hole quickly and and uh, and get to level two and beyond. And that that was always something that, that was a thorn in the Ravens' side. Well, now, look at this from, from the other team's perspective when they're playing the Ravens. You have a guy on the edge whose feet are planted in the ground because Lamar's ball hands are still on that ball with, with two hands. I... I some redundancy in that statement, but he's got still two hands on the on the football in the mesh point. During that time, there's he can he can take a chance on one or the other, but effectively, things are happening at the line of scrimmage at their normal pace. Things are happening during the mesh point at a slower pace than normal, from as opposed to a regular handoff in an NFL game. Yeah, absolutely, and, and you you hit on this a little bit earlier the the sort of you know domino effect that that has on the offensive line and even the running back. So while that player and oftentimes other players, right, who who aren't even the read player, but instead of having the discipline to read their key, you know, like if you're a defensive tackle, maybe you're looking at the center or the guard, right? Instead of that, that's your key. But instead of having the discipline to do that, you can't help but have your eyes in the backfield looking at Lamar trying to figure out what's going to happen with the ball. And so while you're doing that, an offensive lineman is gaining position on you, right? All it takes is for you to take your eyes off of whatever your key is uh, that really will give you an indicator of what the play is. You know, I mean, they, they, Coaches game plan this and players study this, you know, all week long, looking for keys, reliable keys that will give them some indicator about what kind of play is coming, how they're going to be blocked and where they need to go. But if you take even, you know, put whatever time element you want, a fraction of an instant to not look at that key, you get your eyes off that key and you get your eye in the backfield trying to figure out what's going on. Well, now guys gain position on you, right? If you're running back. And there's a linebacker doing that at level two. Mm-hmm. Now he's out of position and now you're by him. Or if you're not completely by him, he's only able to stick an arm out. Right. And we've seen Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards run through <laughs> a bunch of arm tackles. So, you know, it just has this cascading effect on uh, the rest of the the run game. Uh, just just that element of it. And when you do what you mentioned earlier, kind of to the Greg Cosell point, 
where you marry all of these run concepts with a read element. Who knows if it's an actual read or not? But mm-hmm. when you make it look like it's a read on so many plays, you just get that consistent hesitation uh, from defenders. Yeah, it's uh, it's really a thing of beauty. And and going back to your point about RG three, RG three actually was on the po- at the podium, and Lamar was right there, so he knew he was saying it because they had all the the Ravens quarterbacks lined up along with the quarterback coach, I believe that day. James Urban came to the microphone, but but. RG3 said, you know, no doubt about it, I can beat him in straight line speed. I can beat, if we run a 40 yard dash, I'd beat him 10 times out of 10 kind of thing. And, you know, there was a confidence there and a little bit of a swagger, but RG3, a very mature cat. He is, if you've, if you've heard him speak at the podium, I, I've, I've rarely been so impressed with the maturity and intelligence of any player. And, and that's really saying a lot because there've been some smart football players, but he's, he's extremely intelligent. And, you know, you look at him try and run the same offense, and we effectively have a control quarterback, a guy who's A, fast, B, is playing by the same offensive line, C, using effectively the same scheme. And he has nowhere near the same ability to read leverage, and that's the difference. That is the absolute difference between these two guys. It's not anything about the passing game. It really isn't. It's it's all about you know his ability to read leverage and get to that edge. And RG3, as experienced as he is, is nowhere near the same ability level, quick twitch, whatever it is that makes Lamar great. Yeah, and you you mentioned it earlier about how rare that is, and and how you haven't seen it. And I mean, you named you know a couple defensive players, and um, it's 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 a gift. You know, as, as much as it can be coached and it can be honed and refined, and it can. You know, you can you can practice reads and you can simulate. Um, situations in practice and you can look at games and look back at game film and kind of read guys and, and then prepare, you know, if you, if you see those teams again, those players again, but there's, there's a, there's a part of it. That's just a gift. There's just a mm-hmm. natural ability to be able to read that and make a decision extremely quickly and to, to, to make the right decision or the best decision uh, more often than not in those situations. Uh, it's, it's just not an easy thing to do. Yeah, another guy who who would have this same kind of ability would be Muhammad Ali, particularly when he was younger. I mean, Ali, the older guy, was a little bit slower and tried different things to defend himself. But if you watch Ali fight Liston, Liston can't even come close to hitting him. He, he can't even come close to hitting him. And and it's it's just a matter of he reads every single punch before it's coming and and is out of the way. And and then he's in for three straight of his own. And you know, it's 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 looking very one sided immediately. It's 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 it is a gift. I think that. You know, there is a little bit of the 10,000 hours of practice thing. I think that's one thing that's yeah. been said about, you know, how the Beatles got great is they had all that time in Germany playing together before anybody knew who they were to get better at, at who they were at what they were doing. And, you know, Jackson has probably been running with the football this way since he was six or eight years old. I mean, when, since he started playing the game almost in terms of he was he's probably always very quick. And he he probably started trying to read opponent leverage at a very early age, and he's he's practiced at it. He's obviously great. Yeah, it reminds me of of something Ed Reed has said about you know just how long he had been playing football, and you know how he has all of this experience. When people say, "Well, how do you make these plays, and how do you see these things, and you seem to see it before anybody else on the field, and get there before anybody else on the field," and he just said, "It's reps." 
And people are thinking about, you know, NFL practice or, you know, University of Miami. And he's like, no, I'm going back to street ball in Louisiana. <laughs> this is how long I've been doing this. So, you know, again, to your point, those 10,000 hours, just when you've done something so many times. And I think there was even a clip of Lamar at the Pro Bowl. Not, and, and this is kind of ironic, um, considering how their season ended. I think it was um, Derrick Henry who asked him, how do you make guys miss like that in the open field? What, what are you doing? How are you reading those guys to determine what move you're going to make? And he, Lamar, it was simple, you know, as, as so many times with so many, so many of his responses, it, it, it's just a very fundamental. Okay. He's like, I just read their body language. I look at which way they move. And then I go the opposite way. <laughs> and it, you know, that's an oversimplification, I'm sure. But you 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 get the concept uh, and, it, and it really ties into what we're saying. He's reading leverage. And maybe he he he's done it so much that he can do it almost intuitively, subconsciously, where he, he doesn't have to to actually process it. It's just happening because he's done it so many times. You know, there's a there's a lot of things happening downfield on runs with Lamar that probably are worth discussing here just because you know, Lamar didn't have a bunch, he didn't have a bunch of super long runs. Like he didn't break away from his own 20 and run for 80 yards. His longest run of the season was the 47 at Cincinnati, which is on everybody's highlight memory reel now forever. Uh, but he had a bunch of he had a bunch of runs that were in the 25 to 30 yard range. And that was pretty much as long as as he was doing. Now, there are multiple things happening downfield. One of them is that because defenses are playing a lot of zone against him, they got eyes on him and they can they can eventually get him contained or forced to the sideline in other way. Another thing I think is that that his speed being what it is will only get him so far against an active secondary. This active secondary is is fast also. And Lamar is a he's a tough guy. I don't want to say that, but he's not Vince Young as far as being a huge guy or other people who have have, uh, you know, played with very big bodies at the, at the position. Yeah. And I, I, I was I was going to say the same thing when you talked about the speed and we talked about it earlier. I mean, this is this is not like uh, if you think about a 40 yard dash, we're not talking about like a four three type, you know, speed mm-hmm. guy, right? He's fast. Look, we're, we're talking about it. And I, where I can, would you I guess? Can... 4, 445, 447? Yeah, I think he's in the mid 44 somewhere. Um, it was funny. You mentioned that I actually looked up um, some of his high school track. He ran track in high school. I think he only ran mm-hmm. it for one year, maybe two years. And I've heard what scouts like to look at for like a real true indicator of speed is guys who run the hundred meters in track. And particularly if they ran it in college in addition to high school, because uh, then you can really like famous. I think you, you've probably heard this like famously. I think Tyreek Hill, who ran it in college, ran like a sub 10, uh, <laughs> 100 meters, wow. which is crazy. Yeah, it was like a nine something. It's ridiculous. Um, but I think Lamar, when I looked it up, so don't quote me on this. I don't have it in front of me, but I want to say it was if it if it wasn't high 10s, it was like low 11s. So he wasn't like a blazing, blazing, like world class speed kind of guy. But I think what it shows is, well, probably more than just these two things, but the first two things that come to my mind is, and you see this difference between college and the NFL, the overall talent level obviously is better in the NFL. And so you're not going to see as many of these 60, 70, 80 yard runs that you see in college in the NFL, right? Just you're, you're playing against more talented guys, more, more athletes um, throughout the league on every team. And then I think um, the other thing is, so it's tied to his speed, but I think what he is 
is is what you see come out of the combine a lot. And it's ironic that the combine is coming up soon. You hear guys who say, hey, don't put a lot of stock in 40 times, right? Don't don't put too much weight on 40 times. Now, for certain positions, obviously, they matter. But football is more of a game of starting and stopping and changing direction mm-hmm. than it is straight linear speed for 40, 50, 60 yards. There are occasions when when that you're, you're in that situation and, and that does obviously become an asset. But most of the time, some of the quote-unquote fastest guys are guys who are able to stop as fast as they can start. You know, and Lamar and, and, and change direction, you know, laterally. And Lamar, he, he, he's probably, if not the most dynamic open field runner, certainly one of the most dynamic open field runners in the league. And I think it's largely because of that lateral change of direction ability and that start and stop ability. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think there's another mitigating factor to it is that Lamar is actively trying to avoid hits. Yeah. He's really trying to reduce the amount of, of uh, damage he takes in the secondary. And that's the way it ought to be. It's boy, you know, giving up 200 yards this year is certainly worth it in terms of any kind of longevity gain from Lamar in the future. And he, he goes out of bounds a lot. And I, I've done a study on the hits for this year. And, you know, in grading these things that had to create a number of categories for when he goes out of bounds, because he goes out of bounds untouched a fair amount. PFF had him and they, they posted this in an article. So it's OK to say 3.7 yards before contact per play, which is unheard of high yeah. average of 3.7 yards before contact. There's all sorts of things relating to how effective he was running from the pocket when he had to scramble. So one of the things you can do is you can you can take his I, I, I don't want to go too far with this point. I want to let you react to that. And then I'll then I'll come back to this one, actually. Now, that's amazing. You said 3.7? So 3.7, yeah. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you if, if you think about the run game in the NFL, you know, obviously running backs and their proximity to the line of scrimmage. So, you know, that number is going to be lower for them. But even other running quarterbacks, you know, and I, I don't know uh, what that number would have been for a guy like Mike Vig or even Randall Cunningham, but just, just you know, think about that. I, I'm, I'm trying to process it right now. And I'm like, think about that. This guy's gaining nearly four yards before anybody gets near him, or at least close enough to touch him. Uh, that's, that's, that's just amazing. But to your point about, um, you know, protecting himself and trying to get out of bounds, it's just, just another one of those areas. Uh, and I know we'll touch on this later where, where he got better, you know, from 2018 to 2019. It's, it's almost like he kind of gave, that answer at the end of last season, like, hey, what do you need to get better on? What do you need to work on? And it, and it almost sounds generic when he says everything. But he literally, like, got better at everything. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of funny. Well, we're going we're gonna to go through this on another uh, program at one point. But, you know, I, I, the way that I had it was zeros are untouched, ones are touched with no real force, twos pushed out of bounds but still standing. If you go to the, go to the ground, that was a three. Hard tackle was a four, and I really had to decide whether or not the defender was putting weight on him or it, or it otherwise caused impact with the tackle. Then a soft tackle by two-plus, that contains some additional injury risk, so I made that a five. And then a hard tackle by two-plus was, was the hardest. He only took a handful of sixes the whole year. And most of those were not on runs. They were on quarterback hits. Mm-hmm. He did take some on runs. I'm not going to say he didn't take any, but a lot of more on quarterback hits. So uh, uh, I, I'll be interested to go through that with folks and 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 really talk about it. The other the other component of that is where did he get hit on his body? Lamar did a very good job also of protecting both his head and his legs with the way he ran this last year. And that's a point that he made. It's a point that Greg Roman made. Even James Urban said that 
know, look, when you're in the pocket looking to to stay in the pocket and and deliver the ball, um, you're really, you know, you, you have a very limited ability to protect yourself, you know, from from hits. Um, obviously, Lamar has a little bit of, of, of a higher level of ability to do that because of his elusiveness and his mobility. But still, your focus is down the field, right? Not necessarily on rushers or things happening um, around you with the pocket condensing and collapsing. Whereas when you get out on a scramble um, or, you know, a design run or a scramble, you're able to see defenders, right? And you're able to make some some decisions and some choices about when to get down, when to get out of bounds. Um, maybe sort of one thing I think he does really well is he gets really slippery on contact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wish I had a better way to describe it than that. But it, he, he seems to, and, and I think your numbers support this, very rarely take like a, a full-on, like a textbook tackle. Right. Just mm-hmm. just full on. He, he finds the way. Maybe this goes back to the leverage point again to just sort of get an edge on a guy and just kind of take a little bit of a glancing blow as opposed to, you know, full on um, full frame sort of blow. Um, and, and, and I think we had that conversation a lot in 2018 uh, about those kinds of hits. And is it sustainable? And I thought I think we saw as this season went on that you really do probably run a little bit more risk and maybe are a little bit more susceptible to contact uh, without being able to protect yourself in the pocket than you are from running. Obviously, there's a risk. You said that. There's definitely a risk when you're running and you have to try to mitigate that. But you at least have some ability to see it and, and make some choices about you know how you're going to engage that contact, whereas in the pocket, oftentimes you don't. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. When you're setting to throw, the quarterback is at his most vulnerable, and the quarterback hits and the sacks are, are where he takes – some of the best. And pocket awareness is outstanding for Lamar. And since this borders on the run, we're gonna we're gonna drop this in here right now. But his backside pocket awareness is also at a, at another level. I mean, you know, with there are some running quarterbacks in today's game who I think that actually hurts them. Deshaun Watson was sacked a lot, and I think he is overly pocket aware in terms of seeing pressure and being bothered by it, not keeping his eyes downfield. Somehow Lamar keeps his eyes downfield. And this is the statistic that really got me. Lamar sacked, Lewis Jackson was sacked, I think it was 23 for 105 on the year. But he also scrambled for over 300 yards. And I don't have the number of carries, but I do have the aggregate. If you add the sacks and the yards lost to the scrambles with the yards gained, the average yards per carry, we're going to call it, on those plays was 4.6. Now, most quarterbacks are going to be a, a negative number there. Yeah. Yeah. Because, it's, you know, the sack yards are going to exceed any kind of scramble yards by a good amount. But right. but remarkably, 4.6. I mean, think about it, That's pretty damn good for a running back. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, that's a quarterback scrambling for the pocket. That is a true weapon. Yeah. And I, I've, I've said this on Twitter. I'll say it again here. And again, it's just my opinion. Uh, and people have called it hyperbole or, and can disagree with it. And that's fine. But to me. And this goes back to Louisville. So I'm not just saying this because he had this MVP year. And I've tweeted a bunch about it last year, too. To me, he's this rare thing that you don't see. He's a pocket quarterback who has a tremendous ability to run the ball. Maybe one of the most dynamic runners we've seen at the quarterback position, if not the most. But he is a pocket quarterback in terms of pocket presence. And I know people will disagree with that because they'll say, oh, he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that and he doesn't look like this. But to the point that you just made, if you look at him, in the pocket, when he's dropping back to pass, when the pocket starts to compress, and you can just look around at the other guys in his class, the other QBs in his mm-hmm. draft class, and how they react to a condensing and compressed pocket. You Baker see Mayfield them, in particular, right? Yeah, yeah. Pick your guy, right? You see them get more frenetic. 
you see them start to drop their eyes, right, and lose that downfield focus. You see them look for ways to escape out of the pocket. I'm not saying Lamar never does that. I mean, we can think back to even that first Pittsburgh game. I can think vividly of a couple of plays where he's trying to escape out of the back of the pocket, which is like a cardinal sin. So I'm not saying he's perfect. But compared to the guys in his class who were touted to be more traditional pocket passers in terms of pocket presence and pocket awareness, he's leaps and bounds ahead of them to me and always has been. So I'll always stand by that, that he is a guy that and maybe, you know, giving him that label is 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 too simplistic. But he's a guy who has a very unique balance of pocket presence and pocket awareness, but yet the ability to escape and run and be elusive. You just don't see it very much. And that's why I've always compared him to Steve Young. That's yeah. another thing that people thought was crazy. But to me, that's who I see when I watch him play. I see a young Steve Young. <laughs> well, that's it's, it's an interesting thing because one of, one of the great Steve Young highlights was out there, and it might have been a, a long touchdown run against the Packers, I think it is, made at Candlestick with a baseball diamond on the field. So he's, he's running on, on dirt a little bit. Steve Young, I look at that video after watching Lamar and Steve Young handles like a freaking shopping cart. I mean, he's just, he's, that's that's the relative level of athleticism between those two players. And and Young was incredible for his era, yeah. but he just, he yeah. just didn't he just does not have the same natural ability Lamar has by any stretch with his legs. Now, a not great, either. great passer. But uh, but, the, you know, there's a big difference there. I did want to mention something else. You mentioned Cardinal sin. And it reminded me of something I, I knew I wanted to bring up. And I'll forget it if I don't bring it up now. So. Uh, one of the things we saw in the Cardinals game was Lamar turn his back to the field under pressure and exit the pocket to the left. Mm. And there were a couple of things that were happening fairly regularly there. First of all, Ronnie Stanley was aware of what was happening and was able to get downfield and help on those blocks a lot. And that's a big thing where Stanley had a, had a great season that I think was largely assisted or not largely. That's not fair, but partially assisted by who Lamar is. But Stanley also adds something that complements Lamar very well, and that's the ability when the read option is to his side to get downfield into level two or level three and make a block that most tackles in the league can't make. Because Stanley's got really excellent feet, can get downfield, and then you've got a huge size advantage there to, to, to take care of a linebacker, take care of a big safety, whatever it might be. The other thing is that Lamar knew – that Stanley would otherwise seal that side from whatever linebacker or whatever other traffic might be threatening him towards the sideline. And he thought, even if he has to turn, and this is something as a passer I think Lamar needs to do better, is really reacquire the field after traditional play action. I think yeah. that's something that is not, not at the top of his game. He was, he was excellent at reacquiring the field as a runner, and he trusted Stanley on that side to be outstanding. I think it was interesting you said a cardinal sin because he had like six runs to the left for 10 or more yards against the Cardinals. Yeah, I think you see that cohesion. I think we saw it uh, as the season went on. As the more that you, as a as a offensive lineman, block for a quarterback like Lamar, specifically block for Lamar, you start to get a feel and a sense for where he's going to be on certain plays. You know, as you're running, you know, the plays that you 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 run the most, so you so your core stuff in your offense, whether that's run game or passing concepts, you get a feel of where he's going to be based on how the defense is reacting, right? The the defensive line, or if you got blitzes or pressure coming from the second level, and so everybody starts to get a better feel. Um, you could you could see the difference between 2018 and 2019, where it was almost like 
you know, they were still blocking for Joe and where they expected Joe to be, right? Versus mm-hmm. Lamar, which is is a very different case yes. on where he's going to be sometimes. And you can see them start to make that transition and get more comfortable with that throughout 2019. Yeah. Well, let's, let's take a moment here, take a little break. Josh, anything in coming up in questions that would be interesting for us to handle that maybe more that relates to the run or the season in total or whatever that you have? I mean, we could. There's a lot of questions about kind of next steps and how we take this. So I was going to save it for the next episode. But if you want to get into it a little bit, uh, we could get into kind of what would help Lamar to, uh, I guess, with on the speed side, get even faster. Is it a more lineman? Is it uh, better wide receiver options that are going to keep guys off him? How does, it, how does this game and the run game advance? Okay, so I think I think the question is probably how will adding additional speed help the run game? Because I don't see a I don't see a case where Lamar gets any faster as time moves forward. In fact, right. I think you know that naturally it will be a case that that Lamar will regress somewhat. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later, maybe in 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 some ways. But speed is is an area where he will have um, uneven reductions in speed as time moves forward because some of those are injury. And some of it is a natural reduction in speed over time. Michael, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think both. I'd, I'd agree with both of those points. And I guess I'd say, because I think I saw this question when it popped up on Twitter. So I thought about it a little bit. I guess I'd say I could see him increasing in elusiveness, maybe not necessarily speed. Because I think what I saw from 2018 to 2019 was, look, he's always been fast. It's always been athletic. We've we've known about that. But I think you can you can picture, I know I certainly can picture certain plays in 2019, and he even talked about it, where uh, a defensive lineman or somebody would catch him from behind. And he's like, man, I didn't know these guys were that fast. And I think what he would do is everything was 110 miles an hour. And to the point that I made earlier, you know, changing speed is a bigger thing in the NFL in terms of being more elusive. So I think what I saw more throughout 2019 is, if let's just take an example of him feeling pressure. Let's say there's a, a defensive back coming off the edge. And what he would do in 2018 is just immediately try to get outside that guy and beat him to the edge, right? 110 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. But what I saw him do more in 2019 was, you know, hesitate for a moment, bait that guy, invite that guy in, right? You see him coming, but don't immediately bail out of the pocket and try to beat him to the edge. Let him come in a little bit. And then as he gets closer to you, then accelerate then make your move laterally, right? So it's just about how you deploy your speed and your quickness, which can make you look faster, when really I think it's more about being elusive than speed. Um, But I think that's where he still can make gains, because I think as the game continues to slow down for him, I know it's hard to, after having an unanimous MVP season, to think the game could slow down anymore, but I think it can. I think it can still slow down for him in some ways, and you'll you'll see him look even more elusive in in that regard. We have an absolutely enormous list, and don't take this the wrong way, of areas for improvement for Lamar for 2020. As Ravens fans, we want that list to be as long as possible. I mean, obviously, you have you have a unanimous MVP who had literally one of the greatest seasons in NFL history, and between Michael and I, we've got 12 things he can improve on. And I think that it's that's a wonderful place to be. You, you wouldn't want to have a player who was already ceiling to 23. You already know that it's likely he's coming off what is effectively a 73 home run season. He, he's coming off the, you know, Barry Bonds' big year. There isn't anywhere up to go, not really. 
you know, his, his, his aggregate level of effectiveness is going to be something the rest of the league is going to be trying very hard to combat every time they face the Ravens. It's going to be central to, to trying to stop them. The Ravens probably won't have as injury-free a season or as as uh, low injury a season as they had this year. They lost Skur on the offensive line, not an insubstantial loss, but largely on offense. Otherwise, they were in pretty damn good shape the whole year. And I, I, I think just it's more likely that things around him will not be quite as optimal for an entire season for him to take a step forward from what was already statistically one of the greatest seasons in NFL history. Absolutely. And in terms of the players around him, I'd add more speed. Keep adding speed. I love the track team approach. Obviously, you're going to have to mix in some different body types uh, if you're talking about receiver. Yes, you've got Miles Boykin. You probably would like to have another, you know, sort of bigger body possession type receiver, too. But I think because of how effective their run game is, you want to pay that off with big plays down the field in the past. So I think, or, or even if it's shorter plays that turn into big plays, you know, jet sweeps or screens mm -hmm. or, you know, bubble screens, or whatever, but you need fast guys to do that. So I'm all for speed, speed and more speed. around. So, so where, where would you like that speed specifically? Are you good? Do you think they have the speed at running back that they need with the three guys right now? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like where they are at running back right now. Um, yeah, you know, just I think there's a whole separate conversation about the value of that position and how much you want to invest in that position. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if you know there's a there's a guy that they bring in. Uh, I don't know if that's a guy that they draft. It may be a UDFA. You know, they did that a couple of years ago with Gus and a couple other guys who came in. So I don't know how they do that. But they may bring in another guy. Uh, but I actually like where they are right now in terms of the running back room because I think you've got an all around do it all kind of guy in Ingram. You've got a speed kind of change of pace back and heel and then you know you've got sort of your downhill thumper and gust so i, I like the complement of skills they have in there probably be more at, at wide receiver um or even i don't even know what i would call this position it's almost like the debo samuel position it's like a wing back right mm -hmm. it's kind of ironic since they play a lot of they, they run a lot of option concepts it's almost like the wing back position where you just have this guy who's somewhere in between a wide receiver somewhere in between a running back um can do a lot of different things but just somebody who you can get the ball into their hands quickly and just let them make plays, right? So I, I, I'd, I'd like to see that because I think that adds just another complimentary piece to their offense. Jalen maybe, maybe, adds on Twitter that he thinks Mike Evans is that guy. <laughs> is, Mike, is, is Mike Evans available? Not sure. He's a, he's a, he's a slower aircraft carrier yeah. of a receiver, but he's, but he's huge. And yeah, uh, you know, he, he, certainly can, he certainly can block. Uh, could be a very good target. I mean, Andrews obviously has a, has a lot of that. Uh, it'd be exciting. Um, but, you know, I, I, I personally, I want the Ravens to stay off the wide receiver free agent treadmill. They, they drafted well. I think they can they can do it again in terms of of getting a wide receiver. Do they have to maybe sign somebody? Well, maybe they, you know, Seth Roberts is UD is a is a UFA right now. So maybe they need to figure out how to replace him. And they don't have it's not like they have a huge room. But it's at running back, I'm with you. I definitely want them to go the UDFA route because I think Roman's offense really lends itself well with application of a new player of a certain type as opposed to a new player at the highest skill level. Not the Ravens couldn't benefit from that. They could. But they have so many other needs on defense to address. I just would rather if they did the economized role at running back to, uh, to go with that. 
And Mike Evans is signed until 2023, so I don't know what Jalen's thinking <laughs> we're going to do to pull him out of Tampa. Maybe he was thinking about Brashad. Maybe he got his names mixed oh, up. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Perriman's listed as one of the top 50 free agents, I think. On, oh, on, uh, Josh, Josh. Josh. You had, you had to love it. You're right down there in Florida. You had to love it. It's, it's, we'll see what happens. Give me another year. <laughs> it'd be, it'd be, you'd be in your own personal hell if you came to the Jaguars and, and suddenly put up a 65-catch season. You'd have to be talking about it or hearing about it around the workplace or whatnot. Uh, you wouldn't have to be watching the games. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, it's it's Bashar Perriman. If he does anything, Ravens fans freak out. So I I can't avoid it. <laughs> it's true. It doesn't matter whether he plays well or plays poorly. Whatever he does, right. there's a reaction to it. All right. You got anything else for us there, Josh? Before we move on. Uh, no. Let's save some of this other stuff that we're looking forward to the future for for a little later. All right, so uh, we, we have a couple of things we want to do, and so, so we got a good news, bad news, but why don't we do the good news on this episode, which is the optimism for 2020, in that how can we expect Lamar to react in, in the, you know, after, the year after an MVP season, and what might happen, uh, how would we project his season in 2020? And uh, Michael, why don't we each kind of make a point? I know I'm, I'm fairly measured on this in terms of, or at least I think I'm measured. You're going to, you're going to say I'm polar and you're measured probably, but that's the way it always goes. But please start off with a, with a point you'd like to make about his 2020 season. Yeah. And I, I, I don't think that your, your point about kind of this season potentially being the high watermark is overly measured. I mean, like you said, it's a historic season. He, he broke the quarterback rushing record. He, he led the league with 36 passing touchdowns. I mean, this, this is not something that, you know, you, you see often. I think people look back to kind of what he did at Louisville. and was like, well, look at those seasons. They were amazing. He's just going to crank these things out in the NFL too. Um, it's, it's not quite that easy, but I would say he, one of the reasons that I'm optimistic is that now he, he has another season, right? And this, this really was his first full season, uh, as a starter for the entire season, going into the offseason with his offense, right? Not part of some other offense and a few plays that were designed for him. And then uh, once he comes in, in, you know, the middle of 2018, late 2018, we'll try to just cobble all that together. This was no completely designed, completely revamped from a verbiage communication standpoint to be his, right? Tailored to his skill set. So now he's got that whole season of experience under his belt. Think about all the things that he was seeing for the first time, right? Mm -hmm. Coverages that he was seeing for the first time, pressures that he was seeing for the first time, players, individual defensive players that he was seeing for the first time. So now you've got this whole wealth of experience under your belt to grow from, right? To, to use in the offseason. Everybody talks about how, you know, the rest of the league is going to be studying him and studying the Ravens and finding ways to slow him down. And they absolutely will. But now he has a whole body of evidence, too, to study and use to get better, right, to improve himself. So to me, that's one of the reasons that I'm optimistic is that he has a whole new uh, sort of set of data points, right, that that he can he can employ uh, as he prepares for next season. Yeah, that that's an excellent point. I, I wouldn't find one thing wrong with that. It's uh, uh, if if I look at even just running that same offense, he can run it faster at the line of scrimmage, whether that means learning to run a no huddle offense. But I think one of the things that he has a big a big chance to improve on is becoming a no huddle quarterback. Sorry, becoming an audible quarterback. Just a guy who can who can call an audible other than to a run by himself. 
That's that's the standard Lamar bailout audible is he can always change it to a run by himself. The question is, can he can he line up as he did on that second fourth and one at the line of scrimmage under center and say, holy crap, they've lined up four defensive linemen and two defensive ends against here. They're defending that like it's the goal line. I need to drop the shotgun and figure out how to get outside the pocket, either make a play with my arm or legs there because it's going to be too hard for my line to hold up on this play. And that's the kind of that's the kind of field generalship I want to see with him in terms of a move forward in 2020. Yeah, you nailed it. You nailed it. I I I had that Tennessee game. I mean, I I've, I've probably watched it 10 times. Um Ugh. Yeah, and I know a lot of people are like, "Why would you do that to yourself?" To me, I think you always learn the most from failure, right? So I like to go back and study and try to figure out, okay, well, why did certain things work or not work? And that was definitely something that I had in my notes that I think Tennessee was conscious of and I think consciously made an effort to do is to really test his ability to get in to good plays, to get out of a bad a bad play and into a good play versus some of the defensive fronts and looks that they were giving him. And no knock on him. Again, we talked about his youth and how, you know, his first full season in this offense. I don't know how equipped he was to do that. Even, you know, we're talking about 16 games and now he's into the divisional round. But still, that's something that takes years. I mean, when you think about mm-hmm. the guys who do that at a really high level, your Tom Brady's, Drew Brees, Peyton Manny's, who can get to the line, look at a front, know exactly where the the weakness of that front is or if they have a play called and they're going to be running into the the strength into the teeth of that look to get out of that and say hey wait a minute i know where we should attack this and it's not with the play that we have called so i think tennessee you know because they did some things with like three three stack linebackers and stuff you know they did some things that i think kind of threw off not only lamar but even some of the blocking schemes they just weren't they, they hadn't seen some of these these looks um, and so, yeah, I, I totally agree that that's, that's something that, uh, I'd love to see him take another step with. Yeah. But a reason for optimism, because it's, not, it's something he's not good at right yep. now that he could become good at. So it's a, I think a you know possible thing. Um, I, I just want to caution folks against being overly optimistic based on Lamar's age. Okay. I keep seeing the phrase, he's only going to get better. Well, that's really probably not true. You can't use a normal aging model with someone who's just had the greatest season in NFL history. You have to really look at it and say, okay, if you look at superstars in the history of football, and and there is a reasonable chance that Lamar Jackson is going to the Hall of Fame. We have to say that right now, I think, fairly stated. What he's, what he's started here could well lead to a Hall of Fame career. But the, the fact of the matter is, you know, the Hall of Fame players are more likely to have their greatest year very young. Uh, Mel Ott had his greatest year at age 20. Uh, you know, you look at other other play, and that's a that's a baseball player, by the way. Not everybody knows who Mel Ott is today, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but but a lot of other a lot of other players uh, in in various sports had their greatest year very young. They didn't wait till the normal kind of 25, 26, 27, maybe for a football player to have that great age, or maybe even 28 for a quarterback. Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't think you can project normal aging models onto what you'd expect from Lamar based on this season. I just don't think it works. No, and I, and I, I agree with that. And I think you also have to sort of broaden how you think about it. Right. And, and not look at it as a binary thing where people say, well, he either has these numbers or better to gauge whether he gets better. He can get better. <laughs> Right. He, he can get better and have a regression statistically. 
Yes. I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but he can actually become a better player in, in, in a variety of different areas and not, you know, reproduce this season or maybe not even close to it. And people will say, well, look, it, the numbers dip. You know, how can you say he got better? Well, if you look at individual components of his game, just take the one thing that we just talked about. Um, you know, if you see improvement in that area and you say, man, look, I saw some similar kind of things from what I saw in that Tennessee game and he got them out of those plays and got them into positive plays and gained positive yards, that's an improvement, right? Um, will that necessarily, you know, show up in, in terms of a, a, a statistic? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, there's, there's some yardage gain there and that kind of a thing. But let's say, like you just mentioned, it was on one of those fourth down plays. So let's say they gain two yards and they get the, the first down. Okay, well, it's an extra yard. That's not going to give a huge bump statistically, but in terms of the value of that play, um, you know, that that's an improvement. So I think that's how I always try to, to, to remind myself to look at these things is that they're not binary, right? It doesn't have to be this or that. He can get better and, and, and the stats maybe not look as good as they did this season. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think there are certain things, you know, that could happen. You know, Lamar had, despite a, a very poor weather season, which was part of what led to some of the interceptions this year, things could be worse in terms of how he, how he you know, faces bad weather, particularly high wind, which really reduces his ability uh, to use the entire field or force the entire field to be defended, I should say. So I, I think there are there are ways in which it's, it's certainly possible he, he's going to throw 12 to 15 interceptions this next year. And it's going to be hard for any number of things that he could do positively to make up for a big or a, even a moderate, we'll call it, increase in interceptions like that. Now, and he could make or he could make me look like a complete fool and blow these numbers out of the water. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Seems unlikely. But uh, with this guy, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to bet against him. There you go. All right. Anything else? Uh, a point of optimism that you want to make, Michael? Uh, I, I, this is kind of more of an, an intangible one, I guess. But um, it, it, it kind of stuck in my mind because, again, going back to the Pro Bowl and listening to some of those conversations he had with guys like Deshaun Watson and, and he talked about training with different guys. I, I, I'm probably reading too much into this, but I, I think when you get to um, an environment like that and you're around – you know, the other best players in the league, you know, their conversations that are had there where I really think that you can learn things. And it wasn't just Lamar who talked about that. Matt Judon talked about picking up some things from Von Miller. Earl talked about picking up some things from Jamal Adams or some of the other mm -hmm. best players, you know, defensive backs in the league. Because you talk about things and you talk about how you see certain things and how do you defend these things. And it may not need it may not necessarily be like scheme per se, but it could just be like individual technique. Hey, do you how do you play this? Do you play this from a straight back pedal? Do you play it from a shuffle? Do you speed turn? Do you man turn? Do you zone turn? You know, you, I think you can glean things. And so I think what he could do is incorporate some of that into his offseason. And if you're training with a guy like Deshaun Watson or other guys um, like that, you're going to pick up things that will make you better, right? And, and it's vague, and I wish I could give some more specific examples. But I just think when you're training and working out with other great players or really good players, uh, you're going to be able to incorporate and pull things from their game to, to help supplement maybe some areas – there's certainly things that I think Deshaun might be a little more advanced at or a little better at than Lamar and, and then vice versa. And so they, th that probably is, is a reciprocal thing uh, as they train together. So I think that, and then just having another off season, kind of like what I mentioned before, now he's been through 
an uh, offseason, right? He had last offseason. Now he's coming into a second offseason. So you know what you need to do in terms of timing, how much time to take off before you start working out again, what kind of things you need to do in terms of diet, you know, maybe maybe specific workout routines or specific things that you work on that you saw, um, you know, you, that could be more effective. You know, maybe you weren't as efficient with some of the things you were doing, you know, the last offseason. So just another growth I guess, kind of comment in general, but more specifically about off-season approach and, and training. Yeah, he's he's certainly made the jump to light speed effectively. And that's that's as that's as the, the, the leap was so great, it can't be understated between his first and second year in terms of the things he learned in that offseason from from having a quarterback coach. He didn't need other great players around him, at least not that I'm aware of. He just he just had a, a, a some extremely good coaching. I I wish I really believed that his offseason this year could be as unfettered by other responsibilities. But <laughs> yeah. I think that there will be way too much demand on him commercially this offseason for him to ignore it. And, you know, to be fair, there's sand in the hourglass on that, too. It's It, it goes hand in hand with his NFL career. His agent is going to want to make as much money as he can for him and for both of them, for that matter. Uh, while he is a he is a highly viable commercial property, the Madden curse for that reason is not completely fake in that that it's you know he'll, he'll have to go through all of the commercialism that come, goes along with being the league's unanimous MVP and I am moderately concerned about how that's going to impact his off-season regimen and and uh, and uh, you know his readiness or his advancement let's say this off-season that that could address a number of these areas to improve that he has it's a fair point, and that probably is one of the downsides of youth, of his age, <laughs> because when you are that young, and I'll, by all accounts, he he appears to be a pretty mature guy even for that age. But but look, I mean, he's he's extremely young, and like you said, this is this is going to be attention and demand. Obviously, he's been a great athlete, Heisman Trophy winner, so he's had that. But this is going to be at another level, you know, uni- unanimous league MVP. But maybe, and I know. It's always a bad idea to compare these, to use these extreme examples, but maybe he can be Tom Brady, right? Despite all the things, the multiple Super Bowls, all the greatness that has been Tom Brady, maybe he can isolate himself, right, in the offseason and say, hey, no, this is all I care about. All I care about is getting better and being the best. All that other stuff can wait. It can come later. I'm going to shut all this other stuff out. And, and you know, he lied. I would say Tom Brady doesn't allow some of that stuff in. Obviously, he does. But can you manage it in a way so that football is still the top priority and still your focus, um, you know, and not not get out of whack? I, I mean, I don't I don't want to pile on on Baker Mayfield. But, you know, look, look at some of the trappings that maybe he he kind of took advantage of last offseason and 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 how things went, you know, for them this season. So you definitely have to be very careful about it. Yeah, it, hopefully there's some cautionary tales he can really look at, you know, whether, you know, you don't want to use scare tactics and say everybody's going to become Johnny Manziel. Right. OK, but but you also don't want to look at it and pretend like anyone can become Tom Brady. The, the guy who I'd like him to be more like is Ray Lewis, who remained completely dedicated to his film yeah. study. He was a guy of honestly modest intelligence. I think, you know, L- Lamar is a, you know, a, a certainly has a tremendous football IQ, uh, you know, and hopefully is someone who can 
you know, it's very apparent he's actually doing this, who can pick up on tendencies for opponents by watching films, maybe even transfer that to other players he's playing with, whether those are receivers, might be the, the, the logical people that he would watch film with, I guess. Uh, he seems to have a great relationship with his coach. So, so you know, you think that some of that will, will be good. But remember, they, the coach can't work with him for a number of right. days this offseason. So it really has to be his own personal quarterback coach that is delivering a lot of that. So, you know, I, I'd be I'd be lying if I were saying I wasn't at least mildly concerned about how this offseason will go and, and, and where it'll take it. But on the other hand, if he could be 85 percent of the player he was in 2019, and I mean 85 percent maybe statistically, the Ravens are going to be a Super Bowl contender. Yep. And I wouldn't be surprised if they have a similar plan to what they had last season, to your point about not being able to work directly with, with James Urban. But he talked about before the season, you know, before they really kind of went their separate ways mm-hmm. for the season, they sat down and came up with a plan. Hey, here are the things we want you to work on. And they did that in conjunction with his QB coach, Joshua Harris, and said, hey, here are the things we want you to work on with Lamar. Mm-hmm. Here's how we want it to look. Here's, you know, the coaching points. So I think, you know, because of the CBA, it's been in place for a number of years now. I think teams do a pretty good job of coming up with those plans and finding kind of those workarounds, right, to get guys to work on the things that they want them to work on, even though they're not physically there to do it. Um, and, and you saw just the, the improvement from last year to this year. But I tell people it's 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 almost like um, like a diet, right, like keto, right? So if, if you're overweight and you're on keto, the first 20 pounds comes off fast. And then it's like a plateau, right? And it's a lot harder to drop those next couple of pounds. You got to incorporate more exercise. You got to do more stuff. So I think that first jump from 2018 to 2019 was really big, right? Now, how that next increase, how that next bump looks, will it be as big of a jump? Will it be, you know, uh, you know, uh, the curve will look a little bit different, will be more of a plateau. I think there's for all of the reasons that you mentioned, um, not just what the other teams in the league are going to be doing, um, but, you know, all of the attention and demand, you know, all of that is is working against you. Right. To to try to to make a similar jump in terms of improvement. Uh, or any improvement, right? John Harbaugh, get 1% better, right? Any improvement. <laughs> so he's got all of that. He's got a swimming upstream on all that. But if anybody can do it, um, the guy has has shown us, I think, repeatedly that he's got the makeup, the mental makeup. Uh, if anybody who can do it, uh, I, I've got confidence he can do it. Yeah, tremendous work ethic. Seems to be extremely well-directed. He knows where North is. I'm not concerned about any of that stuff. I, I, I do hope he'll do it. More than that, I hope other players will look at Jackson from 2018 to 2019 and you know Jensen from 2016 to 2017 and say, these are guys I want to emulate and try and invest in myself during a key off season and try and get better and, and make a longer career for myself in this league. Because, yeah, there's sand in the hourglass. There's, your youth has time value if you're a 23-year-old wide receiver right now, Miles Boykin, or if you're a... Uh, and I don't know if he's exactly 23, but if, but it, but if he is right there, his youth has value. He's going to want to do all the fun things in the offseason. He's probably going to want to travel. He's probably going to want to do a bunch of other things. But if he could, if he would spend the time to to learn those additional receiving specific skills, I think it could be the difference between a five or six year career and a nine year career and millions and millions of dollars. Literally, if he if this season of, of hard work and, and, and self, uh, investment. Yeah. And you can do both. 
You know, you can, you can, you can, you can have the, the travel experience and have a little time off and have fun, but you got to compartmentalize it, right? It's part of a part of being a professional now where, you know, yeah, it's, it's actually important to give yourself a little time off, right? To allow your body time to recuperate and just to mentally uh, get away from the grind of the season and getting ready to prepare for the next season. It's important to do that. But then, you know, you have to get back into that routine and you had to get dialed and locked back in to what you need to do to get better and be ready for the season. So that's that's always, you know, kind of the the unknown, right? When you 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 talk about drafting players or even signing them as UDFAs is how they make that transition from college player, from amateur, quote unquote, amateur player uh, to, to professional player, because we're privy to all the stuff that happens on the field and not not really privy to any of the stuff that happens off the field and the things that are going on in these guys' personal lives and the choices that they make. And and to to have the money that they come into as 22, 23-year-olds, you know, most of us will never know what that's like at that age. So, um, you know, that it, I, one thing I, I definitely always take away from the scouting academy that Dan Happen would always tell us is like, look, the on-field evaluation is important, but understanding the football player is secondary to understanding the person. Now, as, you know, sort of fans and kind of, you know, like armchair analysts, we don't have a lot of access to the information that that a, a scout would have to try to understand the person. But um, I just think it's his point, right? It's, it's not about you trying to go out there and get background information to become a detective, but it's just the point of who these people are, who these guys are uh, as people really uh, has a, a strong impact on how they perform on the field and what kind of professional player they're going to be. All right. Michael, outstanding stuff. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what you'd like to plug. Hey, or what are you working on right now during the offseason? Yeah, so I, typically during the offseason, and this one is no different, I just pick sort of a pet project uh, that really is just something I'm interested in, whether it actually makes it to publish or not, who knows. Uh, <laughs> but right now, uh, what I've been charting is the Ravens defense and I've been looking at passing plays and specifically right now I'm on third down passing plays and kind of got them in the different buckets. So I'm, I'm studying things like, uh, some, you know, obviously things near and dear to your heart, personnel package usage, mm -hmm. uh, coverages, pressures. Um, and people say, well, why are you doing that? Just to learn the defense. This is why I do it. I mean, it's really just to educate myself and really try to learn the defense and see if I can get a better understanding of of the defense and why they use certain personnel and certain uh, down and distances and certain coverages and pressures. And if it makes it into an article, great. If it doesn't, um, that's fine. I'm fine with that, too, uh, because it, it the whole thing was just a journey of like self-education. So it's well, not much of a plug, but that's what I'm doing. This kind of thing, I'd love to just do a show on you with Mike if, when you think you're you're at a point where you just have discussion points down. You know, you have 20 bullet points about what you're doing. I know you, you'll come up with a lot more than that. <laughs> you know, and then, you know, it'll be like this. We'll have a we'll have a nice back and forth discussion about it. And certainly you you are correct. It is very near and dear to my heart. I'd love to have the talk with you uh, whenever you're ready. Thank you. I'll definitely take you up on that offer. And then otherwise, just, you know, kind of keeping an eye on draft prospects. Um, it's so hard, right? Obviously, everybody gets really interested and in into the draft. Combine's coming up. But there's so many guys out there. Um, it's just really hard to 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 do any kind of thorough evaluation of all these different players. So I've looked at some. 
Uh, I'm not doing any of the draft profile stuff that they're doing over at RSR. Other guys are doing that. Um, it's just not really something I'm interested in doing. But I do look at players, and I do like to talk uh, on, on Twitter with people about different players and different things that we see. But I know once the draft is actually taking place, obviously I'm getting you know pretty far down the road because we still got free agency first. Uh, and we'll take a look at some of those players, and I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll tweet out some stuff about, about who they um, you know, acquire in free agency or retain in free agency. And then when we get to the draft, some thoughts about those guys too. Where are you on the Ravens drafting an inside linebacker as opposed to an edge rusher or maybe defensive interior or even offensive lineman with their first pick? It's something I've gone back and forth on. And I think, you know, those, those, there's kind of like three top names that bubble up at the inside linebacker spot in, yes. in the first round, really maybe two. Um, Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma mm -hmm. and Patrick Queen from LSU. I throw Malik Henderson from Ohio State in there too because I really like him too. How about um, Zach Vaughn from Wisconsin? Yeah, yeah. Who's I, I? I look at him as more of an edge rusher, though, okay. than an inside linebacker. Uh, but you're you're saying compare comparing both positions, right? Inside linebacker well, I, as opposed I, to edge my rusher. My understanding was Zach Vaughn was an off ball linebacker as well, so he, he yeah might he does a little bit of both. Hmm. I'd agree. He does a little bit of both. I've, I've gone back and forth on it, and I think the question that I'm trying to answer is, I think if you're going to take an inside backer at that pick, let's just assume they they stick and pick at 28, and there's some guys there, one of those guys available there to them, is this player a three-down linebacker, mm -hmm. right? I think I, I think if you're going to take a linebacker in the first round, even at 28, and, and and some people will tell you those picks at the end of the first round are basically, you know, essentially like high, you know, early second round picks as much as they are late first round picks. I mean, that's just a philosophical thing. But um, that's the question I'm trying to answer. So far, I feel like I can answer that on 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 one of the guys. I'm pretty confident that Patrick Queen is a three down player. The other two guys I'm not as sure about. Um, but that's still, I'm still not saying take Patrick Queen at 28, but I'm, I'm more confident in, in having studied him that he's, he's a three down linebacker as opposed to I, I am with the other guys. I'm just, not that they're not, uh, I just haven't, you know, gotten comfortable with that, but I just don't know if you're going to get an edge rusher at 28, you know, a, a premium type talent in at that position at 28. Uh, as as compared to maybe a guy like Patrick Queen. I don't think Patrick Queen, honestly, I don't think he gets the 28 either, just my opinion. But um, So that's what I've been struggling with is if it's a three-down player, maybe you do it. But um, it just depends on which one of those edge plays. If you get a guy that falls, and if you look at the way things are, are kind of, you know, who knows how it's going to shape out with free agency and the injuries and other things. But if you look at the number of quarterbacks people are projecting, if you look at the number of offensive tackles people are projecting, mm -hmm. if you look at some of the wide receivers people are projecting, some defensive players should conceivably fall, right, to, yeah. to the later picks. So uh, I don't know, man. What do you think? I know that was a long answer, but what, what do you think? I, I, I start by saying that I don't think the Ravens are forced by any means to take an inside linebacker. And so I don't, I don't want to be misquoted on this. I want to make it clear. If the Ravens could draft um, C.J. Mosley or Ray Lewis at 28, of course you do it. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's obvious. And, and it addresses a need on the team. If if they, they but they won't have that choice because whoever they draft, they're not going to know exactly what they have until he first puts on an NFL uniform. Uh, Queen, whoever it might be, it wouldn't matter if it was either at the two Devons last year. It wouldn't matter if it was Tremaine Edmonds. They wouldn't know in, until they until he's actually put on a uniform exactly what they have. And I think you know in the in the case of those three guys, I don't I still don't, still don't think we know you know necessarily what where they are exactly right now. So you know then I come to the point of. 
I've already got one of the things I want out of is exactly what you mentioned, the three down player. I've already got the defensive signal caller in place and I just re-signed him long term. So I don't need my inside linebacker to be a three down unicorn. And in fact, it I'm actually disincented to have such a player if I think a defensive back can do a better job in the diamond quarter packages than such a three down inside linebacker unicorn can. And that's true of almost every inside linebacker in the entire NFL is that the team's third best safety is going to be a better coverage guy. So if you want, if you have pure passing downs, you'd prefer to have a third safety in there. So anyway, long story short, and it can be a very long story. I think that, that the other needs are greater than inside linebacker, given what Chuck Clark brings the team and the Ravens commitment and ability to deal with uh, platooning linebackers at the ILB positions. They also played the fewest ILBs they ever have in 2019, only 1.32 per play, which is just amazingly low. Uh, and, and that was a function of the, the number of diamond quarter packages they played. So anyway, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm on record as saying I, I think that uh, if they had a great player and they really love him a lot more than the others, I'm okay drafting him. But, if, but I wouldn't draft an inside linebacker because it's a generally weak position. I think the Ravens actually can juggle and manage that. Now, let me pick your brain on something real quick, though, about that Chuck sure. Clark point, because I, I had this conversation with somebody the other day, um, and I think some of it hinges on what they decide to do with Brandon Carr. I think Brandon Carr essentially making the move to safety. Uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't officially say that, but essentially I think that's what happened yep. uh, kind of the second half of the season. That allowed Chuck Clark to play at or near the line a lot more, right? Yes. If Brandon Carr is not there, if he's not back, and Chuck Clark now has to alternate a little bit more between, you know, being back and being up at the line. Does that change your opinion at all? Because I think Chuck Clark, I'm not saying he can't play back. I think he can. But I think that he's probably, I'd say parts of his game near the line of scrimmage are probably stronger than having him play back deep in coverage, whether that's the deep middle or even the deep half, whatever you want to, you know, whatever part of the field you want to say. Right. I'm not saying he can't, but I think he's stronger near the line of scrimmage than he is back. I understand the question. Okay, so I, what, here's what I would say. They don't know yet what they have with Deshaun Elliott, who's missed so much time. And I still don't know if he's a free safety or a strong safety. He's played some dime. He's played some on the back end. In preseason, when he played on the back end, he looked like very rangy and a good possibility. But one of my draft needs for the Ravens this year is a back end safety who can yep. really play the back end. So I would not even be shocked or upset if the Ravens draft them with number 28. I would not be upset. So you want, if they if they see that safety they love, if Derwin James is available, of course. If if you know if they if they if they saw a Minka Fitzpatrick there uh, available at number 28, and and like you said, a lot of there's a lot of pressure on the offensive positions as always there is, uh, and always a lot of position on on the edge rushers and tackles as well. Uh, you know, it may well be that a, that a great safety drops into the late 20s. And if they like him, I say take him. Uh, I would know. not be unhappy with Xavier McKinney. I don't think he makes it to 28, right. but the kid out of Alabama who played, I don't know if he's Minka, but they used him in a similar way to Minka. He played some mm -hmm. nickel, played some linebacker. He played some deep safety. Um, I would not be unhappy. I'm a big fan of his Who's, who's the other guy? <laughs> I want to always call him Dilbert, but that's not it. The oh, other, the Delpit. Grant yeah. Delpit, Delpit from LSU. Yeah. Yeah. Another guy who, you know, it's funny about him that people seem to think he had a better 2018 than 2019. But um, 
I, I, I just see a rangy, explosive dude uh, who <laughs> I think I'd be happy with either one of those guys. Would he be able to take the back end for a team like the Ravens? And we're going, this is a Lamar Jackson episode, so at some point we have to cut this off. It's turned into draft talk. Yeah. Um, well, then that... Let, let's cut it off there, though, because I—that's I, that, a whole other. I have a lot of thoughts actually about how he how he plays on the back end versus versus other parts of the field. So let's cut it off there. All right, Michael. Too, <laughs> Save it for another time. Too long, strangers. Here we need to get back together and t- have some draft talk anyway, because this is fascinating stuff, and I think we'd we'd appreciate doing this. Uh, give another Joshua. Anything else we need to to hit on before we get out of here? Uh, going over to iTunes or your podcast app, wherever you listen to this, and rate and review the show. Continue to spread the word about film study. Get in your film study mailbag questions because that really helps steer the conversations during the off season as well. And I believe that covers all the film study plugs we've got tonight. How about section three thirty six? We got Orioles now. Yeah, I mean. Section 336 is uh, full steam ahead because it's baseball season. And if you uh, if if you love baseball, uh, you probably are hating the Astros right now. But it is so much fun to talk about because every day there's a new stupid quote that some player or the commissioner made. So it's a fun time to talk about baseball and get excited for uh, the Orioles' future beyond this coming season, which is going to be ugly. Yeah. Ugly. I'm going to have to tune in because I, I've only, I'm not, I don't follow baseball, but obviously it's hard not to, to hear all the Astro stuff, but I literally don't know what they did other than they cheated. I don't specifically know how right. they cheated. So I'm going to have to tune in and get smart about what happened. Uh, we, we can give you a primer when we get off air here, Michael. We'll uh, we'll right. let it go. Something about buzzers and uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. any of it means. <laughs> yep. But yeah, for the Orioles, uh, they're not going to be good this year. But now's the time to hop on, listen to three thirty six, follow the Orioles, get to know all these young guys because they are going to be the players who eventually, uh, hopefully, bring back a World Series to Baltimore in a few years. That's great. I highly, highly recommend Josh or so is his brother and brother-in-law. That's who, that's who you do it with? Yeah, uh, yeah. Right now, it's just me and my brother we do it right now. Okay. You uh, lost Zany, Zany Burt Rody? Yeah, Burt's taking some time off. I'm sure he'll be back at some point and occasionally, but I um, think life life gets busy. Okay, so. sure. Understood. So anyway, that's uh, that's good. You and your brother are a great team and, and uh, love to have you back. I want to mention to people who are interested in doing a film study short, I have a lot of opportunities coming up. If you want to do something about a free agent group, I will talk to you about that. If you have interest in talking to me about a particular group of drafted players, and I'm talking about a positional group, love to do that with you as well. Get in touch and uh, we'll uh, we'll work on putting together a short for you in terms of some specific uh, uh, players or group of players to uh, to look at. All right, and of course, uh, an hour is not enough time to talk about Lamar, so stay tuned for the next episode where we'll continue this conversation.
Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.